0: We're going to see this morning, Jesus is the miracle worker, and He's currently at work in a few areas of your life that you can identify, and then about 10,000 areas of your life that you have no idea. But in hindsight, you'll walk back and praise Him for His faithfulness in your life. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open your Bible with me to Luke, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, as we continue our Advent series. And thank you Robert and Mary Bell and, and Haley as, as you ushered us into our, our season of joy this morning. Christmas is about joy. Do you have joy? Not to be mistaken for happiness. Happiness is a fair-weathered friend. Happiness is based upon... Happenings, or happenstance, thus happiness, based upon chance, happenings. If circumstances are great, you're happy. If circumstances aren't great, you're not happy. Happiness is a fair-weathered friend that will rejoice with us on a mountaintop, but refuses to descend with us into the valley. But that's where we experience joy. Something deeper than an emotion. Uh, Joy that is anchored into an inner strength that is stronger than the adversity that we're going through. Happiness is temporary. Joy is eternal. Happiness is based upon the natural. Joy is based upon the spiritual and our relationship with Christ. A foundation of a follower of Jesus Christ is that we are distinct, we are unique, we are characterized by joy. And the Christmas message is a message of joy. The angel declared, I bring you good tidings of great joy. When does this good news, these good tidings, give us great joy? When the good news is personalized, then you have great joy. And joy is mentioned in the Christmas story no less than eight times. And we're going to see that joy is based upon not what you have. But joy is based upon what cannot be taken from you. You see the difference? Joy is not about what you have. Joy is about what cannot be taken from you. Last week we looked at supernatural peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding is not rooted in the absence of problems, but in the addition of power. A power that is greater than our problems for God's glory. And so today as we're on joy, we're going to see that joy is not having things. It's having something that can't be taken away. Viktor Frankl, who was a prisoner of war in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II, knew about this inner strength, this joy. When the German officers were abusive to him, and he felt this anger welling up inside of him, And he concluded right then and there, I have something you cannot take away from me. Sure, you can take my livelihood. Sure, you can take my family. Sure, you can separate me from my wife. You can take my business. You can take my health. You can take my clothes. You can take my wedding ring. But there's one thing you cannot take from me, and that is how I choose to respond to you. And so today we're going to look at four joy robbers this Christmas season. And we're also going to look at four decisions, four choices to be a person of joy. You see, you can choose to be a person who's fearful for the rest of your life. And you look around in the world and there's a lot to be fearful about. You can choose to be a person of anxiety for the rest of your life. And you look around and it's justifiable. There's a lot to have anxiety about. You can choose to be an angry person for the rest of your life. You look around. There's a lot to be angry about. You can choose to be a sorrowful person for the rest of your life. And that's justifiable because you look around and there's a lot to be sorrowful about. You can choose to be a confused person the rest of your life. And it's understandable because there's a lot to be confused about. But you can also choose to be a joyful person for the rest of your life. And if we look at the Christmas story Jesus Christ, we see there is a lot to be joyful about because the Christmas message is a message of joy. So let's pray and then let's dive right into it. Father in heaven, we pray in Jesus' name that nobody here would leave unaffected, unimpacted. Nobody would here, here would leave the same. That we would all leave distinct, characterized by joy. We talked about peace last week. A peace that is not the subtraction of problems, but the addition of power. And therefore, we have courage. And today, Lord, we're talking about joy. Joy that is not based in the natural, joy that is based in the spiritual. Joy that is not based upon circumstances, but joy that is based upon character. Joy that is not based upon happenstances, but joy that is based upon hope. And it's a joy that is indescribable and full of glory. And this joy is a choice. And we pray that we would all choose as followers of Jesus Christ with your presence within us to be people characterized by joy. In Jesus' name, amen. First joy, robber that we're going to look at is anxiety. Mark my words, make no mistake about it, the number one thing that can deplete any of us of joy this Christmas season or this upcoming year for that matter is anxiety. As we said earlier, there's plenty to be anxious about and you can choose to be an anxious person or you can choose to be a joyful person. Sometimes we forget how um, anxious Mary and Joseph were in that very first Christmas. Yes, it was joyful, but it was fearful, and it was very anxious. Well, let's begin reading about that first Christmas and the anxiety and the fear that Mary would have been tempted to walk in. We are in uh, Luke chapter 1. Let's pick up in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And as you know about Nazareth, when I was visiting Israel, we drove by Nazareth. This is Jesus' hometown. It's where he was raised. It's like, Nazareth, I'm going to go to Nazareth. And they said, no, 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 we don't have time for Nazareth. There's nothing good in Nazareth. Nothing to see there. So it is now, so it was then. When, Jesus, when people heard Jesus was from, was from Nazareth, they said, Nazareth, what good could come from Nazareth? So here's this little country girl. This little no-name, nobody, country girl in Nazareth named Mary. Now Mary is betrothed. Now we know that word is engaged. Betrothed is a lot deeper. It's a lot more meaningful. Today, you can be engaged with somebody and you can break off the engagement. No big deal, right? You know, you shed some tears and so forth, but but you go your separate ways. Well, in this particular culture, to be betrothed was more legal. And in order to break off a betrothal, you had to go through actual divorce proceedings. And you were betrothed for about a year before you were actually married. So it was like being married without being married. It was like all of the commitment, but they didn't live together. They didn't sleep together. They were pure. They were legally bound, but not yet married. They were waiting to be married. Mary was betrothed. If you broke off a, betroth- if you broke off a betrothal without the, pre- without the correct legal proceedings, and if you had relations with somebody else, there were severe consequences legally, severe consequences socially, your family could be kicked out of the synagogue. It means you can't find work. Well, and if you're unfaithful in this particular culture, the uh, the, 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 the legal consequence can oftentimes be you are stoned to death. So Mary is this no-name, nobody, country girl who's betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now you may not understand this, but Mary was probably 13 years of age, 14, maybe 15 years old, no older than 15. Well, they didn't have the lifespans that we have today. She was not a mature woman in 30s. People oftentimes didn't live beyond their 40s. She was a young girl. She was a teenager, 13, maybe 15 at the oldest. Would have been customary for this girl to be betrothed to Joseph. So let's pick up with our text, verse 27. There was this country girl Teenager named Mary, who's a virgin. She's betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came and said to Mary, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled. Circle that. Did you see that? There's a temptation to be an anxious person. There's a temptation to be a fearful person. There's a temptation to be a worried person. She is troubled. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, you think she's troubled now? Listen to the message. Do not be afraid, Mary. And she's going to need this this encouragement to be courageous. You have found favor with God. And behold, watch this, you will conceive in your womb, bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said, how? Again, she's worried, she's troubled. How can this be? I'm a virgin. Verse 35, and the angel said to her, the Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, he will be holy, and he will be the Son of God. A quick foundational truth about our Christian faith. Jesus' mother was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus. She had no relations with the man. She She was a virgin, and yet she was pregnant. How in the world was she pregnant? It was a miracle. She was conceived by the Holy Spirit. There were no sexual relations involved in her conception. She was a virgin, and the baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit in a holy fashion. This is the foundation of our Christian faith. Joseph was not Jesus' biological dad. Joseph was Jesus' stepdad. And this was utterly terrifying. Think of the conversation that Mary is about to have to have with her parents, who may very well be kicked out of the synagogue because she is pregnant. She's going to say, Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant. And they're going to say, Who's the dad? And she's going to say, this I've never been with a man. This is the doing of God, because this baby is going to save the world from their sins. Who would believe that? Would you believe your daughter? She not only has this anxiety, she's got to have a serious conversation with Joseph. Joseph, I need to talk to you. And he sees the concern in her face about what? I'm pregnant. You're what? She's a virgin. He knows he's never been with her. Who is it? How could you do this to me? I've been faithful to you. How could you throw away our future? Joseph, you don't understand. I've never been with a man. This is the doing of God. This baby is going to save the world from their sins. Would you buy it? Joseph didn't because we'll later read in Matthew chapter 1 that because Joseph was a kind man, he had character, he had in mind to put her away privately so as not to subject her to public scorn and ridicule. He was just going to he was just going to they were going to go their separate ways. They were going to go through the divorce pre- proceedings as privately as they could, but it was a small town, everybody would talk. Not to mention that We'll see in a moment that Joseph does come around, but she'll eventually be nine months pregnant and she rides for three days on the back of a donkey from Nazareth to Bethlehem for the census. How many of you have been pregnant and would like to ride on a donkey for three days straight, three days before you give birth? Not to mention that, but once they get here, there's no room in the end. Everybody's everybody's going into Bethlehem for the census. There's no room. I went to San Antonio a few years back, a handful of years ago, just to tour the missions there and pray. I had no idea it was St. Patrick's Day weekend. Consequently, I had no idea that every hotel would be booked. It was an exhausting night until I finally found somewhere, as I had to drive way on the outskirts of things. This this is what they felt like on the night uh, that they're trying to give birth to this baby. Everything is booked. They can't find anywhere to lay their head, to find anywhere to rest. And then when it is time to give birth, again, this is a teenage girl, 13, 15 years of age. Her mom's not with her. Her aunt's not with her. There's not a midwife. There's not a nurse. She's never had a child before. She has no idea what to do. And so there's an incredible temptation in Mary's heart to walk in fearfulness, in anxiousness, in worry. What are you anxious about? What are you worried about this Christmas season? Think about that. What's worried you? What's consuming your thoughts? What's what's creating anxiety? What's preventing you from being able to sleep sweet at night? And I want to encourage you to make the merry choice. Here's the merry choice. When Mary was afraid, she chose to trust God and accept His plan for her life. When Mary was afraid, she chose to trust God and accept His plan for her life. Look at this in Luke chapter uh, 1, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to Your Word. Whatever my parents think, whatever my community thinks, whatever my fiancé thinks, whatever my life looks like from here on, If I have to live life alone for the rest of my life, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your will. Now, let me ask you this in the midst of your fear, in the midst of your anxiety, have you ever prayed this prayer? This was a pretty mature response from a little teenage girl, wasn't it? Have you ever prayed this prayer? Lord, I am your servant. Let it be done to me according to your will. I don't understand my circumstances. My heart is painful. My heart is sorrowful. I don't know how this will work together for the good. But Lord, let it be done to me according to your plan. This was the Mary choice. Choose to trust God and accept His plan for your life. Mary was at a place of great anxiety and trouble. She landed at a place of exceeding joy. There was overflowing, and the bridge between her anxiety and her exceeding joy was this prayer. Lord, I am your servant. Let it be done to me according to your plan. And this is why I said earlier, gang, joy is a choice. You can choose to be an anxious person, a fearful person, a sorrow person, an angry person, or you can choose to be a joyful person. And the bridge from your anxiety to being a person of overflowing joy is to pray this prayer. I don't understand my circumstances. I don't understand how it's going to work out. I don't understand why I'm in this scenario. But I trust you, God, God that you are good and you are glorious and you will bring beauty out of the ashes. I trust you and I will accept your plan and I trust that you are at work as we sang earlier in 10,000 ways that we have no idea. Will you choose to be a person of joy? Second joy robber. The first is anxiety. You cannot be an anxious person and a joyful person at the same time. Joy our anxiousness walks into the front door. Worry walks into the front door. Joy walks right out of the back door. Second joy robber is resentfulness. You cannot be both resentful and joyful at the same time. It's impossible. Resentfulness and joyfulness are mutually exclusive. You have to choose to be a joyful person rather than being a bitter, resentful person. And this we learn from Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. We see that Joseph was planned to be married to Mary. But, God chose to tell Mary individually that she would be pregnant, conceived of by the Holy Spirit, without telling Joseph. Why? Why? Wouldn't it have been a lot simpler if God took Joseph and Mary together and said, and said, hey kids, listen, I'm up to something and it's going to be glorious and this is what I'm doing and they both would have said, okay, cool, God, it, we're in this together. But God chose to tell Mary and at a later date, God chose to tell Joseph. Why is that? Because God wanted to bless Joseph and God can't bless Joseph unless like Mary, Joseph walks by faith and not by sight. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, watch this, she was conceived to be with child from the Holy Spirit, her husband Joseph, being a just man, he was kind, he was compassionate, unwilling to put her to public shame, resolved to divorce her quietly, But as he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And then we see the Joseph choice. Watch the Joseph choice in verse 24 and 25. When Joseph awoke from sleep, basically in a dream, God said, she's telling the truth, this thing is from me. She's an honorable girl. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Joseph was hurt, he was kind, but he was angry. And he was going to divorce her privately. But he made a choice to forgive her and to let it go. So they could once again experience intimacy in their heart. Now let me ask you, have you been hurt? The answer to that is yes. How do I know you've been hurt? Because we live in a world that is riddled with something called sin. We're all a bunch of sinners. You have never in your life met somebody who's not a sinner. And us sinners get together and hurt one another. We hurt one another unintentionally, and we hurt one another intentionally. There's people in your life that have hurt you, and there are people in your life that you have hurt. But in order for us to be a blessed person, in order for us to be a person of joy, we have to make the Joseph choice. Now, the Mary choice was to trust God and accept His plan. And the Joseph choice was to forgive Mary and let it go, or perhaps even forgive God, and let it go. But Joseph had to make that decision. And so do you. You will either be a bitter person or you will be a blessed person. Mark my words, church. You will not be both. Let me repeat that. You will either be a bitter person or you will be a blessed person, but you will not be both. You have to make the Joseph choice and to forgive your offender and you've got to let him go. Did you know? We can praise God for that. Resentfulness is the most worthless decision in your entire life. It adds no value to your life. You toss and turn all night and don't sleep because resentfulness is keeping you awake. And what is your offender doing? Sleeping like a baby. Not even thinking about you. You're hurt and you're wounded and your offender is Christmas shopping. Not even giving you a second thought. Resentfulness is the most stupid, the most worthless emotion that you could ever entertain in your heart and mind. It adds nothing to your life. It doesn't get back at your offender an ounce. All it does is allow them to continue to hurt you more. You may have been a victim the first time they hurt you. But if you harbor resentfulness, you are no longer a victim. You're walking in foolishness and you're allowing them to continue to hurt you over and over and over and over and over and over over every time you think about that offense. How worthless is that emotion? How foolish is that emotion? As your pastor, as your spiritual coach, I implore you to forgive them and let them go for your own sake because you will become the sum total of your response to relational hurt over the years. It's why you look at some really elderly people and they are either really sweet or really bitter. We become the sum total of our response to relational hurt over the entirety of our lives. And I implore you not to harbor this worthless, foolish emotion called resentment. Forgive Him and let Him go. Just as you also have had to receive forgiveness and we're grateful that people let you off the hook. You've had to receive forgiveness from the Lord and He gave you grace. And now you must extend grace to others. Grace is not a, a reservoir. Grace is a river. Freely we've received. Freely we must give. The first joy robber that we're looking at this Christmas is anxiety. Trust God's plan for your life. The second joy robber we're looking at this morning is re- resentfulness. Forgive your offenders and let them go. You say, but how? 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 Can I forgive them? Now, I hope we've established that resentfulness is foolish, it is stupid, it is worthless. But how can you truly forgive and let him go? You've got to pray for them. You see, Jesus, interestingly, never commands your emotions. He doesn't command you to feel a certain way about somebody who's abused you, who's wounded you, who's stolen from you who's taken from you, who's wronged you. He never says, feel good about them. He never says, when you think of them, I want you to have these warm, fuzzy goosebumps on the back of your neck. He commands your will, not your emotions, your will. Pray for those who use you. Do good to those who who despitefully use you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for, do good to, and bless. All conscious decisions of the will. And if you make an intentional decision to pray for your offender, then that will open up the windows of heaven and the Holy Spirit will pour His peace into your heart and His strength to truly let them go. The greatest joy robber is anxiety and then resentfulness. And then confusion is a joy robber this season. Confusion. And to understand about how to overcome confusion and to be a person of joy, we look to the wise men. Let's look in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with them. Do you hear how they're confused? Do you hear how everybody's troubled? The wise men are following the star. They're following the star to 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 worship the king of kings that was born, the Messiah who's going to save the world from their sins. Well, they go to King Herod. He's a puppet king at the end of Rome's leash in this this, um, Roman-occupied Palestinian area. And he's crazy. If you you go into the history books and read about Herod, you read that uh, he killed many people in his own family whenever he felt that anybody was a threat to his throne. He didn't just kill them. He killed anybody close to them, and then anybody who was close to them just to make sure his throne was secure. The man was insane. So when these wise men came and they said, look, uh, we're trying to worship the king, and he said, well, oh, I thought I was the king. Why aren't you here to worship me? And he's troubled. He said, go, go get this Jesus, or go get this Messiah, and bring him back so that I can worship him too. Well, he's lying through his teeth. He doesn't want to worship him. He wants to kill him. We know that because uh, when he realizes that the wise men leave and they don't come back, He has all the male children, two years old and younger, killed in that particular area. It was brutal. It was atrocious. It was an atrocity. It was a genocide. So, the wise men are asking, where is he? They're confused. Who is he? Where is he? Why is he here? Herod is concerned. And then all of Israel is astir because if Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy in this area. So when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him was troubled. Now let me ask you something. Are you confused this Christmas season? Maybe you don't know what to do. You don't know which way to go. You don't know how to handle a situation. Something is exceeding your wisdom. Something is exceeding your resources. Something is exceeding your capacity. You know, we started HopeWorks in 2003. I've been pastoring this church for a long time. And it never ceases to to, to amaze me when I hear a situation or I'm involved in navigating or counseling or shepherding some situation that, huh, after all these years, that's a new one. (laughs) I'm constantly surprised by the new ones that I enter into. I'm constantly in situations where I'm praying for wisdom. I believe that the Lord has given me a measure of wisdom as a spiritual gift, and yet I'm constantly in scenarios where I need wisdom that exceeds the wisdom that I have for the day. And perhaps you're in a situation where you, you, you need greater wisdom, you need greater clarity, you need greater resources, you need greater capacity. And what you need to do is to make the choice that the wise men chose to make in the midst of their confusion. When Mary was anxiety, had anxiety, she chose to trust God and accept His plan. When Moses was angry, he chose. To forgive, offer grace, and let it go. And when the wise men were confused, they chose to follow the light that they had one step at a time. Matthew chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. After listening to the king, they set out on their ways, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Interesting, isn't it? A few years ago, Halley's Comet, I think, was making a circle around Christmas time, and everybody thought, that's it, that's it. Halley's Comet, just like 2,000 years ago. Today, I believe a couple of stars are going to crisscross, and it's going to make a very beautiful star. I think astronomy is awesome. Not astrology. That's, that's a lie from Satan. But I think astronomy is awesome, and, and, and two stars crisscrossing. criss-crossing. It's going to be a sight to see. But that's not what this was. This star was led by God's supernatural hand. It seemed to go north. It seemed to stop. It seemed to go west. It seemed to stop, maybe south, maybe east. It moved, and then eventually it stopped and it hovered over the house that Jesus was at. They didn't know exactly where the light would lead them, but they walked in the light one step at a time. What is our guiding light? Guys, today our guiding light is the Bible. It's the Word of God. We read in Psalm chapter 119, Thy Word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. Sometimes when we're in the Word, it gives us enough clarity for the next 10 years, the next 50 years. Sometimes when we're in the Word, it gives us only enough clarity for the next step, for the next decision. Thy Word is a light unto my path for the next 10 or 20 years. But sometimes Thy Word is only a lamp unto my feet for the next decision for the next step and so the wise men were faithful to follow with the light that they had which is why every day we must be in the word in order to get the word into our heart faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god if you have little joy if you have little peace if you have little love then perhaps your bible is collecting dust you know back in the botanic garden days when we started from scratch and we nomads in the botanic gardens and then even a few years into when the Lord allowed us to buy this building at this location, I would have sermon outlines. I would print out my, all my points, fill in the blanks, and all the sermon uh, verses. That has its place. It's fine. I'm not against it at all. But I just noticed that people would, would really lean on the sermon outlines instead of wearing out the pages of their, of, of their Scripture. And I'm old school in this. I'm old school because I believe this is is something foundational. This is something we never grow out of. We have to be in the Word in order for the Word to get into us. As it said, a Bible that's falling apart is a sign of a person, its owner, that is not falling apart. Is your Bible falling apart? You have calm in the midst of the storm. You have supernatural strength from on high. You have peace that passes all understanding. You have joy that's indescribable and full of glory. If your diet of the Word of God is a 30, 45 minute sermon once a week or a few times a week or maybe you YouTube some sermons throughout the week, you are spiritually anemic. And every day we're in a battle. and In a battle, you got to have strength. You don't see world class athletes go into a battle out of shape and, 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 and malnourished and barely able to walk. No, they eat perfectly. They're on their A game. They're in shape spiritually. Every day we've got to fight the good fight of faith before us. And we do that with strength and faith and peace by wielding the sword every day. This is the sword of the Spirit. We wield its promises. We read it. We believe it. We follow it. We obey it. We stand upon it. And so, the wise men were in a confusing situation, but they followed the light that they had And in the same way, God knows how to lead His sheep. He knows how to tell you exactly what you need to do. But we have to be in the Word to hear that whisper say, go this way or go that way. Are you a person of the Word of God? And finally, the final decision that we'll look at today, to be a person of joy, is when you are tempted to choose to be a sorrowful person, when you're tempted to choose to be a depressed person, when you're tempted to choose to be a hopeless, despairing person. And for this, we circle back around and learn from Mary. As we move to Luke chapter 2, verse 29 through 35. Luke chapter 2. You see that it's time for Jesus to be presented at the temple. It's customary for a young Jewish Jewish boy, so they make the, the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Well, they go into the temple. There's this old prophet who was in the Word every day, so the Word was in him. He had a word from God. And that word from God was, you will not die until you see the consolation of Israel, or the hope of the world, or the Messiah, or Jesus. So here come Mary and Martha into the temple, and this old prophet Simeon who spends night and day praying at the temple sees Mary and Joseph and he sees that baby and something within his spirit resonates and he knows that's the Messiah my own eyes have seen it God was faithful to me so he goes over and he picks up this baby he holds the baby he holds the baby up in the air and he says, a prophet, a prophecy over, over this baby." And he says that this is the Messiah." And he praises God for allowing him to see this Messiah. He hands the baby Jesus back to Mary, and his prophecy continues. He says, "This child will cause the rising and falling of many." And then he points a finger at Mary with this countenance that is so somber. And he says, and this child will cause a sword to pierce through your own soul too. What did that mean? Well, she wouldn't know for 33 years. But finally, when she would be at the foot of the cross, and there was Jesus mutilated uh, with nails in his hands and feet, gasping for air, she understood. If God gives you a word, um, you know, you hold on to the word, you pray the word, you think about that word, sometimes you forget about that word, but then when you walk into the fulfillment of it, your mind immediately connects back to when God first gave you that word. If you've ever had a word from God and walked into its fruition, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And when Mary was at the foot of the cross. I have no doubt her mind went back to 33 years early and she knew exactly what it meant because watching her son being crucified was a sword piercing her own soul. Yes, she imagined Jesus saving the world, but a glory and honor, not nakedness and shame. Yes, she imagined Jesus being on the throne of David, but on a physical throne like all of Jesus's followers thought, not not a spiritual throne after this gruesome crucifixion. A sword pierced her heart. What sword has pierced your heart this Christmas season? Some of you I know there's an empty chair this Christmas due to COVID because your loved one's in heaven and it's a sword piercing your soul. Some of you are just going to be divided this Christmas due to social distancing and quarantining. And there's a sword piercing your soul. Some of you, you're even a deeper sword, you're divided, but it's not due to COVID. It's just due to relational, unresolved relational conflict that has persisted over the years. And a sword is piercing your own soul. Or maybe you look back at circumstances and you think the best is behind you. And a sword is piercing your soul. Well, as Jesus died, and his body went limp, and they brought him down from the cross, covered his body in spices, put it in a tomb, rolled the stone over it. Three days later, we know that Jesus conquered the grave. He rose from the dead. When Jesus died on the cross, so did our sin. And when Jesus conquered the grave, so did our hope. And Jesus said, It's best that I do this. Because apart from this, you won't have the helper, the Holy Spirit. You realize that the disciples followed Jesus for three and a half years and looked nothing like Jesus? On the eve of his crucifixion, they were still arguing about which of them was greatest, still jockeying for position and power, politicking within themselves, etc., to increase their influence. A bunch of garbage. And they looked nothing like Jesus. They behaved nothing like Jesus. After the Holy Spirit entered their hearts, people confused them for Jesus and said, how are they speaking with such authority? Because they're totally uneducated. And they remembered they were with Jesus. Three and a half years of following Jesus looked nothing like Jesus. The Holy Spirit enters their heart. They look exactly like Jesus. And so it is for Mary. She carried Jesus in her womb for nine months. She held Him in her arms for two years. But then the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ Himself entered her soul for the rest of eternity. And this is the joyful decision. We choose to believe that future blessings are worth today's battles. What is your battle of sorrow? What is your battle of despair? What is your battle of hopelessness? where you're tempted to believe that the best is behind you. This is the choice of joy. Through faith in Christ, we choose to believe future blessings are worth today's battles. Some of you know about God. You know all about Him. You could out-quote me on verses. You know all about Him. You, You could teach a class, but you don't know Him. You don't know Him personally. You're not trusting in Him. Some of you think you know all about Him because you've heard stories here or there and you've read books on Christianity and you've decided that you're going to be an agnostic or whatnot, but you don't know Him personally. And the way that you know Jesus is to trust Him with the light that He's given you. The way that you know Jesus is to trust Him. Even when you don't see it, understand it, feel it, you trust that tomorrow's blessings are going to be worth Today's battles, and then you continue to walk and you realize God is faithful. But in order to experience this conviction deep in your soul that God is faithful, you've got to trust Him now with the light that you have. You've got to trust Him now to believe the promises that you know God is faithful. Would you stand with me, please? How about you? What did you need to hear this Christmas season? Are you wrestling with anxiety? Will you choose to be- trust God and accept His plan for your life? Are you wrestling with resentfulness? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you guys are resentful at me, your pastor, this Christmas? Don't raise your hand. I don't want every hand to grow up. I'll be wrestling with sorrow this Christmas. How many of you are wrestling with resentfulness towards me? And I don't know of anything. I honestly don't know of any issue. But but I do know that sometimes if you come from a church where there's a ministry wound, you're wounded. And, you know, hurting people hurt people. Hurting people are easily hurt. And so you guard that, right? And I might do things differently than you do things. I'm not saying I'm right or I'm perfect. I'm certainly doing my best. I promise I'm doing my best. And if I've hurt you with all of my heart, no, it was not intentional. And I love you with all my heart, and I would give my life for you in a 2nd And I'd be grateful and honored to do so. I'm not perfect, I know. But I ask you to do a couple of things. If you are, by chance, resentful at me this, this season. I mean, my goodness, we've made a lot of drastic decisions, sudden right left turns all over the place, huh? Some people are resentful that we're not only having online service. Some people are resentful that you have to wear masks when you enter until you're seated. Or that not, you're not wearing masks the entire time. Or we have a co- combined blend of service rather than just one. We're not both outside or both inside or whatever it might be. I mean, the list goes on and on. I'm not perfect. and I'm doing my best. But I just want to help you through this. Perhaps you have a wound that you're nursing. And one is just trust God's sovereignty. Really, just trust God's sovereignty. At the end of the day, let's just trust that God is in control. Let's just trust that God is sovereign. I'm not perfect. Our team prays for wisdom. We make the best decisions that we can. We get around a conference table. We mark things up on a board. We pray for wisdom. We make the best decisions we can, knowing they're not perfect. But we trust that God is sovereign. Uh, And if you can't trust God as sovereign, I just ask you to follow my leadership. Just follow my leadership. And pray for me as you do. You have Speak to me, speak. Say, hey, I think we ought to go this way or that way. I, our team, we're all ears. But I ask that you trust God's sovereignty. And if you can't do that, I ask that you just follow my leadership, and if you can't do either of those, at the end of the day, I ask you just to give me a grace card. As I'm going to give you a grace card. I ask you just to forgive me and pray for me and, and bless me and encourage me as I'm going to do the same for you, okay? Now, there might be other people in your life that you're resentful for. You're resentful towards me. Follow this process. Trust that God is sovereign. He works all things together for the good. He makes all things beautiful in its time. If you, can't, if you can't do that, then just give them a grace card, just as you need a grace card. And that's the decision of joy. Some of you are struggling with confusion. Seek Christ, guys. Seek Him. It's okay. David prayed how long in Psalm 13? Jesus prayed why from the cross. He knew why, but it was his humanity. It's okay to not understand. The only wrong decision you can make is not to seek Christ. Keep seeking. Keep putting one foot in front of the other in the light that you have. Perhaps you're sorrowful whether it's because of an empty chair or a divided home or just spending more time looking back than ahead at the future, at the promises of God, perhaps your heart is sorrowful. Choose to believe the future blessings are worth today's battles as God is my witness. You cut me physically and my blood will bleed red. You cut me spiritually and I will bleed red. God is faithful. He is faithful. He loves you. He's with you. He's for you. He is faithful. Will you choose joy this Christmas morning? Will you choose joy this Christmas season? The Bible says, in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. So will you come forward and just cast your cares upon the Lord and say, Lord, let me just have a touch from your Spirit's presence because really, we walk through this in sort of uh, an academic capacity, but what you need is a touch from the Lord because one touch from the Lord, His peace and joy will flood your soul. So I just want to invite you out of your seats right now in fact, just step out right now. If you need joy, step out, come forward and just cast your cares upon the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. You would do a supernatural work in people's lives. If they meet with you, let them encounter your joy. In Jesus' name, amen.